This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm so excited to be talking to home builder Don McMaster today about how to build a strong foundation, getting answers to questions I've had for years. Welcome to From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. When interior designer Jana Rosenblatt had an 80-foot tree fall on her house, she saw the opportunity to create the customized home of her dreams. From Disaster to Dream Home provides you with the information and resources Jana wished she had during her rebuilding process. Now she's sharing with you the expertise of leading architects and home builders and the newest products and materials on the market. Here's your host, Jana Rosenblatt. Welcome back, home builders and remodelers, to another episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that will take you through the process of building or rebuilding a new home from the ground up in one year. Today, we return to our trusted builders, Don McMaster and John Hill of McMaster and Hill Construction. McMaster and Hill are one of the busiest companies located in the Conejo Valley in California, where they work on new houses from the ground up and do major renovations of existing homes. They are experts on working on insurance projects. Having worked closely with Don and Don on two new homes recently completed that were built after the Woolsey fires here in California, I am eager to continue our conversation with them about the foundation and then about the framing part of our project. Don, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, it's good to be here. Thank you. Um, once the plans are drawn and approved, what exactly happens next? Well, the next thing would probably be to make sure that everybody understands what was drawn and what was uh, approved. Yeah. And uh, and we talked about before, it would probably also be a good thing for uh, the designer, if somebody has one, to actually go through the plans uh, yeah. with the people and take a look at it. And probably even as they were drawing these up, it would have been good to be getting their input. So I'm assuming most of the people are getting input uh, as far as, you know, okay in the floor plans and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of people don't know uh, the floor plans and what that would look like. So the extra help would probably be uh, a great service to them, have somebody looking at it because, you know, you have an idea as what you're trying to do. So but, uh, as opposed to, or, part of it being uh, approved, the next thing that would actually probably happen is you would determine who you need to get um, on site. And so that could be a, uh, a survey company if they haven't already been there, that would survey the lot and uh, survey where the house would sit and also survey the height off the, uh, off the dirt or whatever the heights are. So a survey company would mark all that so that when the carpenters and the uh, concrete guys come, everybody knows, you know, what we're shooting for. And a lot of the cities and counties make sure that uh, you have that piece of paper. We've had to provide that piece of paper to the inspector before we can even start. And so that would probably be the, one of the first things to do is to um, make sure everybody knows exactly where the house is going, the elevation of the house. And uh, a lot of the cities and counties, before they let you do anything, you have to provide all that paper. They have to come out and take a look at it. So that would be probably the first thing. So the surveying um, companies, have they been active at all um, during the process with the architect or not until there's a stamp set of plans for them to actually relate to? So before the architect even begins, yeah. he might have somebody go out there and do a survey. Yeah, yeah. So they would know... Uh, what height the building can be put at. So if there's like steps, let's say it's five feet higher than the street or, you know, five feet lower than the street, how high do you want to make this house? So usually all that information is all already done. Um, but then they would come out and verify that, make sure everybody, you know, and record that for the uh, city. 
And so they, they actually do some kind of mapping on the ground? Yeah, so usually we put it a, a stake and stakes at about 10 foot uh, outside the boundaries of the house uh -huh. so that nobody tears it apart. So they can always come back and measure those. They're outside, you know, where the walls are going to be. Uh -huh. So everybody could run a string. Uh, they, they don't get knocked over uh, while you're building the house. So you can always refer back to them and know that you're putting it in the right spot. And so yeah. is that, and, and this is all after like the soil has been prepared and I know there's like a pounding down process. What, what happens there before the, uh, you're actually allowed to, you know, build on it or the surveyor marks it out for you? Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, we usually call it here in Southern California, if you have a flat, a flat pad, uh, typically they'll want you to over X. So they'll have already been out there and marked about where the house would be. And uh, using that 10 foot offset, uh, typically for a concrete slab, and even if you had a raised foundation, they wanna make sure that underneath your foundation is two feet of good dirt uh, that has been compacted. So we call that the over X. So let's say your footings are three feet deep, you know, so sometimes it looks like a giant swimming pool. They'll take all the dirt out of your lot set it to the side and then they'll start rolling it back in with tractors and water. They have to have the right amount of water and uh, the weight of the tractors, the compaction has to be a minimum of 90%. And so they'll put that all back, it'll all be smooth again. And then the, um, you can proceed to go on to the next, the next step, which would be the uh, foundation. Uh, so all city. of that happens before any of your digging starts. Yes, that all has to be done uh, first to make sure that the concrete is sitting on a good solid uh, foundation of dirt. Mm -hmm. Yes. That sounds wise. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and does the dirt sometimes have to be treated? I mean, it, is dirt different in one lot to another? I mean, you want too much of, you know, different kinds of materials to support. Yeah, you have, to have the, you have to have the right kind of dirt that's going to yeah. compact uh -huh. to a percentage. And so there are different kinds of dirt. So that's one of the things that's even done before that would be like a soils report to tell you what kind of dirt that uh -huh. you have. And so then there's different things that they could do. If it's really bad dirt, they might say you have to take all that dirt out and go find good dirt and bring it in. And uh, one of the things about the OverX is typically uh, when you recompact it, you might have to add 25% more dirt because oh, once okay. it compacts down, yeah. uh -huh. you'll need more dirt to, uh, to bring it back up to level. Even if it was level at the start, the compaction really uh, compresses the dirt. So you have to bring in good dirt. That has to be approved by the soils engineer uh -huh. uh, that you can use that dirt wherever you find it. And then they mix that all together. It's like making a cake. You mix it all together and, yeah. uh, and then compact it. Cool. Um and how long does all that process take? So the first part there probably could be, you know, it, it, it all depends on the size of your lot and what you're doing. It could be from two weeks to four weeks, depending on the cities, how many inspections they want to come out. Some want to come out and look at it every six inches, but typically they want to come out like at about two feet. Uh-huh. And then soils engineer also comes out and looks at it every two feet to make sure it's being compacted correctly as you come back up. Uh-huh. That sounds like a fascinating job description. Um, yeah. Can I stop by and look at your pile of dirt? Um, yes, that's exactly what's going on. Exactly. I, I want that job. <laughs> of course, I think you have to actually know what you're looking at. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll test it. They have, you know, they'll come yeah. up and they'll, they'll dig little holes and uh -huh. check the compaction. Uh -huh. And so everybody will stand and watch that guy do that for about an hour. And then he'll tell you whether you can keep working. And, and is it often the case that you're not done? Like uh, you have to do more after they're there or do you pretty much know how to get it ready for them? Pretty much all the guys know what, what the uh, game plan is and how to do it, you know. Uh -huh. So, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be taking that dirt back out again and have the guys say you didn't do it right. Because no, uh, those, like those big tractors, they cost a lot of money. Yeah, so. it would be a not a good start. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Boston um, on the East Coast where um, homes had full basements underneath them. 
all of the 25 houses that I've worked on from the ground up in California since I've been working in um, this field were on concrete slabs. And for my own house, I specifically look for a house on a raised foundation as there's so much more potential in renovations when all the plumbing and electrical is run under the house. Um, you'll never uh, have to break up the concrete to move a sink or a toilet or something like that. Are slab foundations more common here in California because of earthquakes? So I would say the main reason they would do it is because of the uh, uh, price. So when uh -huh. they started mass producing houses over here, uh, it was a whole lot easier to put a slab down, uh -huh. easier and cheaper. Whereas if you go to older sections of LA, in the San Fernando Valley, they'll have yeah. race foundations because those houses were put in like for the most part, one at a time. Uh -huh. And and the wood was fairly inexpensive. But now to have a raised yeah. foundation, not only do you still have to have, you know, the footings have to be in, um, you know, the correct soil. Yeah. You still have footings all the way around the outside, but now you have a lot of lumber uh -huh. and joists and insulation, all sorts of things, right? And you're right. It is easier to uh, get underneath there and move things. But from the standpoint of the guy that's originally building it, unless it's on a hillside, if they could get a flat lot, uh -huh. they'd get a flat lot where they could pour a slab on it. Do you ever do any homes with raised foundations or are all of your homes slabs? I'm going to say they're all slabs. Uh -huh. Now, some of the remodels, if the houses, you know, had yeah. a raised foundation, you might have to try to match, you You know, you could try to match that because you want the wood floor, the wood floor to match. You don't want to be going from concrete to a wood floor. So you do, um, you do deal with it in terms of the older homes that you work in. But yes. The newer yeah. homes are, are all on slabs. Yes. I can't, I can't think of anybody that has done a, uh, a raised foundation unless they say, if you're in Studio City or you're up in, you know, Topanga yeah. or someplace like that where, okay, you're not going to get a flat slab. You got a view. You're building on the side of a how a, a side of the hill. Uh -huh. Then you're going to be putting exterior footings and some interior footings. And then you're going to be doing floor joists and that kind of stuff. I have worked on some homes that had um, full basement level. And most of those are where they're carved into a, um, into a hill so that the view, yes. you still have a view from the lower level. Have you done any of that kind of work? Yeah, one of the first houses I did I uh, did for myself was over here in Thousand Oaks, and so it was on a slope lot. So uh -huh. we built uh, ten foot walls, kind of like a U shape, into the side of the hill, and then the open part, uh, basically on the one side was uh, open. So three sides of it was block wall, mm -hmm. and then the um, the open side had the view down the hill, and. Uh, so that was one of the first ones I did for myself. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you do do it when they're on the side of the hill and you try to get take advantage of that view or whatever yeah. you can uh, whatever you can do there. OK, so the decision is made. We're going to have a poured uh, slab foundation on our custom built home. The foundation is the lowest load bearing part of the home. Once dug into the ground, it's um, like a full scale map of the floor plan of the house. It's the first time that you can walk the site and get a real sense of the spaces as designed on the plans. Uh, tell me about that process. Right. So once once you actually have the slab, are you saying so the people are going to come out and walk around and, and um, get... before you've actually poured the slab when yeah. you dig the trenches? Talk. Let's talk about your the trenches and what goes in them and all of that. Right. So even on a slab, raised foundation and or a slab. Uh huh. Once you're going to dig. Uh, the structural engineer is going to tell you how deep and how wide those uh, footings are going to be. And that, of course, depends on whether you're building a one-story, two-story, you know, three-story. Uh, if you have big beams or, you know, how the, how the house can be put together, uh, they'll tell you where to put the uh, footings. And the footings typically can be anywhere from two feet to three feet deep, you know, 12 to two feet wide would probably be... Uh, you know, standard, anyone, anything in there. Mm -hmm. And then they're put in with uh, typically the uh, type of rebar that the uh, engineer would call out for the footings. So there'd be a two-step. There would be uh, the footing part. Let's say if you're doing a slab, 
if you're doing a pretty small house, they might pour it all at one time. The if you're doing a bigger house, things? uh-huh. Pardon? Yeah, the slab and the footing. Yes. Yeah, okay. That was a question. I yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that was one of your questions was yeah. so typically what we've been doing is pouring the footings because there's so, you know, when the house gets so big, you have so much yeah. footing, you can't do it in one day. And so what you want to do is pour your exterior footings um, up to the top of your form boards. And then um, for the next couple of days, they're going to come back in and you're going to put rebar in the slab and uh, the dirt and in the middle or your sand or gravel mm -hmm. underneath your slab. And uh, then you would come back a couple of days later again and pour that slab part. So the footing that you're referring to, is that just in the areas where you need the extra um, engineered strength to then build your walls above them? Or is that the ground, you know, the sort of um, trough that you do all uh, under every single wall in the house? Those would only be, uh, typically it's exterior footings. Uh-huh. So for sure the outside. And then let's say if you had a ridge or, uh, you know, your roof sat on certain walls inside the house, the, the pressure coming down, uh -huh. then you might have another footing down the middle of the house uh -huh. or wherever uh, the engineer decided he needed some extra strength with for shear walls, that kind of thing on the inside when the framing starts. So the pipes for... Um for the uh, water from, you know, taking the water from the city into the house and the gas line and, and other things you can help me understand, um, go into the footings or into separate troughs that are built to, uh, to then, you know, take you to where your plumbing fixtures and things will be in the house. Right. So typically what we would do is when, uh, let's say we have a tractor come out to dig the exterior footings. Uh -huh. We've had the plumber come out at that point and tell, you know, we lay out where the bathrooms are going to be, uh, kitchen, that kind of stuff, where we're going to need drain pipes. And so they'll also dig a ditch. And at that time, the plumber would come in and, and run, uh, you know, a line for that to the outside to where, you know, the water's going to come out to the sewer line. So they're going to put those in at the same time and cover that up with dirt as they proceed to the outside. So Things that you would want to have inside would be your drain pipes. Uh -huh. You might have uh, um, an electrical, let's say you have an island. So that's one of the things that you might want to, um, you're going to want to run a wire or some uh -huh. conduit over yeah. to a uh, island or any place where you think you might not get to it, you know, later on when you're framing for the electrical. Uh -huh. uh, if you had an island, say you had a stove or something on there, you would put a sleeve in for the gas if you wanted to have gas in some place. Uh, let's say you had floor electrical, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a big living room and you want to have a light in the middle. Right. And you don't yeah. want to have a cord laying across the uh -huh. ground. Uh-huh. You know, we'd run a pipe uh, over to that area where you want one, too. Mm -hmm. So, so a couple different trades that. will come in and get that. Yeah. You want to get in. You want to get that into the concrete not between the concrete and the and the flooring. Right, you want all that stuff- Underneath. Underneath, yeah. you know, and it'll be under the concrete in the dirt. So yeah. it's not poured, it's not poured in the concrete, it's under oh. it, uh -huh. um, you know, so it's, and then that, that'll be what you see sticking up later on, I think you had that question. Yeah, I, I do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna post, um, you know, a couple of pictures on the website so people can see. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once the once the um, slab is poured, you've got these sort of uh, a couple of black pipes and yes. different colored wires and then some white that are sticking out. Right. Yeah. So, so you might do it. You might, let's say you're going to have uh, you might um, have some telephone lines or cable uh -huh. lines or something like that. And then the main power to the outside, let's say your electrical box will put a big, you know, four inch sweep into the concrete uh -huh. so that we can hook that up later and that that way it all goes into the wall uh -huh. and we can have access to that uh and all those pipes will be buried later on you wouldn't see them so you can run yeah. those out to the street you don't see them up on the side of your house or anything like that yeah and i i think that i i want to point out at this juncture that this is one of the reasons why it is good to have an interior designer aboard um before this foundation is poured because 
you know, people don't consider necessarily where they need an outlet in the floor and where they need um, to, you know, bring an excess amount of, you know, of power or where they might, you know, do they want a second sink in the, um, in the island? I mean, it hasn't all always been completely considered on the architect's stage. Right, right. And so that's why I say an, an extra uh, set of eyes on it would yeah, really yeah. help because, mm -hmm. you know, if you pour that and then, and then later on, you know, the designer and the homeowner go, gee whiz, I think I'd really like to have that sink. You know, then you're talking, you know, where before it might be, you know, a couple hundred bucks to run a pipe over. Now you're talking thousands. You start jackhammering everything up. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's um, a good thing to, you know, so everybody. And like I say, not everybody understands that, you know, they, they may not understand how that's done. And they just think you could do that later. And yes, you can, but you don't want to start remodeling your brand new house. And as, as you said, and I was actually glad to hear you say it because I feel that way. A lot of times when I start on a project, people really don't understand the plans. Um, they really don't have a sense. I mean, my, my favorite thing is um, a client that you and I both know who had a house full of pocket doors designed and yeah. all of a sudden you were framing the pocket doors and he's like, uh, I didn't, I, I don't want any pocket doors. So he didn't, yeah. you know, he just didn't know that that little symbol on the plan meant pocket doors. And, you know, yeah. who, who knows how that slipped by him, but it's a perfect example to me. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so many questions come to mind. So, uh, first of all, you, you touched on all the different trades that are now in process from the foundation point. Are these the same guys that are doing the, like the, the interior plumbers that I meet, are they the same ones that are going to come and lay all those uh, pipes in? Are they on it? Yes. One of the, yes. Okay. Right. So wh whoever usually we've, uh, you know, already decided who the plumber contractor is going to be the electrical contractor and who else. So that's, is part of their job. That's their upfront, you know, they yeah. want to, they want to make their life as easy as they can too. So they want everything put exactly, uh, you know, where it's going to be. Yeah. So they don't have to be moving anything around either. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I mean, if, if they're the ones that do it, then they really know where it's going. I imagine that's, a, and then no one can blame some other company. I can imagine that's a big factor. Yeah. No, they'll end up blaming me for it, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your job. Isn't that your job description? <laughs> Yes, I have to make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things before we even pour it, let's say you have it all formed up, uh, you know, you have the form boards up, then we do take uh, strings and uh, pull them across the top to signify where the walls are going to be. Uh huh. And that way the plumbers and everybody know where the walls are. Uh -huh. So that they don't miss it by an inch, you know, yeah. you don't have a pipe sticking out of your wall one inch and now you got to yeah, move your wall an inch. So that wouldn't be good. So uh, we pull, yeah, we'll pull strings everywhere that we can for the uh -huh. walls of the house. Make sure everybody knows where the bathrooms, living rooms, where, where everything is to make sure all those yeah. pipes get put in the right spot. Yeah, which is why it's, it's kind of a neat phase because um, when those strings are up and the troughs are dug, you really can begin to see, you know, things take shape. I don't know if the client can see it, but I can see it. Right, yeah. right. Um, so what are the materials that uh, that you're using for piping that goes into the ground under the house? Uh, and do, do, are they materials that have life expectancies or do we hope it's forever? Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's going to be uh, <laughs> forever. Uh -huh. However, in Southern California, so different parts of the country, because I can't speak for everybody what they use, but Typically in Southern California, they use ABS, which is a, you know, a black pipe uh -huh. and that'll go underground. They probably started using that in the, uh, maybe the early seventies uh -huh. for the drain lines for the sewers and stuff like that. And they say that it could last, you know, uh, 70 years, but since we're only 50 years in with those things, yeah. everyone that I've seen is still good. So, uh, -huh. There's other people say that those things will last up to a hundred years and they really don't, they really don't know how long they would last. Mm -hmm. Now, previously houses that had the cast iron drains, uh, we're seeing houses that were built, let's say in the late sixties and stuff like that, the cast iron starting to break down from wear and tear. So now we're 50 years in with the cast iron, but nobody uses, uh, you know, a cast iron under a house, even if it's erased 
you know, foundation and you could get to it. Yeah. It's uh, PVC um, or the ABS. No, PVC, which is a white pipe. Yeah. Um, you'll see so you'll see more of that maybe in the Midwest and back east. Oh, really? Right. And that and that probably will last just as long. It's just kind of standards, you know, depending on where you live, what uh, what people use. Either one of them, either one of them could be um, is good for, you know, the drain lines and things like that. And I, I asked that question because I'm currently working on a, a home renovation here in Calabasas um, that was built in the 90s. And um, yes. one by one in this really large tract of homes, they're needing to um, repipe the entire you know, home uh, or the foundation worth of pipes. Um, and I, I think that it's because um, of the uh, hard water in California that causes corrosion. But would that have been that they were they using PVC and things like that in the in the nineties or what could they you know, how could that have happened? So they weren't using the uh, PVC. You don't really use the PVC for uh, pipes. People would have used um, copper. Yeah, and the copper is still good, except it's so expensive. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So what happened was as they built these track houses. Uh, let's say let's say go back to the uh, San Fernando Valley and Sino, all those places. Yeah, they use galvanized pipe with fittings. Yeah, and as we all know, what happened after the fifty years here, those galvanized pipes, you know, rotted out, and you had to repipe your house. Um, but the tracks, when they started building the tracks, because they didn't want to spend the money and put the copper in the framing, which would have taken, you know two or three times as long uh-huh. to do it, they ran it underneath the slab. So you could go from your water heater to a bathroom and you would loop it to another bathroom, you'd loop it to the kitchen and you were pretty much done with your hot and cold water. So you didn't have to run out very much copper, um, but it wasn't, uh, how would you say, what, it wasn't rigid copper. Uh-huh. It was a soft copper, and it came in a a, a big roll. Yeah, oh. and so you would roll this copper out on the sand underneath the house, uh-huh. and then you would roll it up the wall. And what was happening, and what we found it is, um, if the guy putting it in stepped on it, or if there was a, any slightest defect in the roll as it rolled up the wall, uh-huh. uh, over the over time with all the water running, it would wear out the copper. So if the copper is perfectly smooth on the inside, probably not a problem. If the people that were putting it in put any kind of kink in it, or if there was a little, even if over time, uh-huh. you know, if there was a rock that started to just push against it and, and dented the uh, copper on the inside, mm-hmm. the water running through it wore it out. And then yeah. pretty soon you're going to have, you know, you're digging up your uh, foundation to try to fix it. So a lot of it was, uh, you had to be so careful when you did that. And then uh, obviously these people were in a hurry. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that pretty expensive. much what happened to all the copper. So yeah, we've yeah. been doing lots and lots of copper re- Cause once it, it starts, yeah. it's once you start, there's no end to it. Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, there may be, there may be six or seven places yeah. in your house where the copper yeah. rolls up. Yeah. Into the wall. Yeah. And so if it doesn't happen at one place, it'll, it'll happen at another place. So mm-hmm. uh, there were no joints. You weren't allowed to put a joint underneath it or weld it. it had to be, they would give you uh, 50 feet in a roll of copper. Uh-huh. And so you couldn't have a joint underneath that could go bad. You had to have one solid piece um, before you and get it out of the co- out of the concrete before you could put a fitting or anything on it. Have you had to do many of those repiping type projects so i've been working in insurance jobs for yeah. you know over 20 25 years so yeah. what would happen in people would have insurance losses and so uh we would go in and probably you know jackhammer up somebody's floor and try to fit it or fix it if we came back once or twice then we were like hey you know what you guys probably ought to put all yeah. this you know put it in the walls yeah um so we don't have to come in and wreck your floors and mm-hmm. And then uh, some of the insurance companies stopped over time going, hey, you know what, we're not, we're going to stop covering that, you know, so they, they changed their policies too. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, so now we're doing lots of uh, the retrofits and we do that. Some people like to have the copper, but virtually almost all of them are done with PEX, which is a plastic uh, uh, material because it's, it's like running a hose. So you don't have all the little fixtures. You can kind of repipe your house, you know, pretty easily. And uh, so, yeah, we've been doing a lot of that. So do we use copper at all anymore in, in, you know, the houses that we just worked on? I don't, I mean, I only feel like I see only a lot of plastic. <laughs> yeah, lot you of do, you, yeah, you see, you do see a lot of the plastic. So what they do is where the, where the copper, let's say behind your sink, kitchen sink, behind your bathroom sink, they still have copper. Uh, it goes up the wall, you know, maybe only six or seven inches and comes uh -huh. out of the wall. Because what they do is they'll run this plastic uh, flex packs over to that, and they'll make a connection to the copper. And the copper is a lot easier for the plumbers to then connect, you know, shutoffs and that kind of stuff, the shutoff valves and all that kind of things that you might need to come out of the wall. You, you don't have the plastic coming out of the wall. You have the copper coming out. So you might still see copper, even though the whole house has uh, been re retro, you know, retro done with the uh, packs. So copper still has its place, even though, uh, and, and yes, so, and, uh, but it is so expensive and that's, you know, one of the reasons I replace it, but you still have to use it. It's much, it's much easier to use, to cut, uh, to put the fittings on it, you know, as they come out of the wall. Is that because the material is just stronger in terms of its connection? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And all the parts that you connect to it, they're still making that for the majority are still made for copper. So, oh, I mean, yeah. you could do it, but uh, most of them, it's easier to put, you know, you know, one foot of copper in at the end. All right. And then uh, how does the formation of the foundation vary in different um, climates and soil conditions? Um. I don't know on the climate. So if you're talking back east, you know, that would depend, that would depend on, um, you know, how much water is around the base of it, you know, what you're going to be doing with it. Uh, out here, it, it kind of just depends on the soil and that would be, um, you know, the thickness and the depth, you know, of the concrete footings and things like that. So, and they usually run Anywhere, you know, when you pour it, the concrete mix is usually 2,500 to 3,500 PSI uh, for strength of concrete. And if there's going to be a second story on the house, does that, um, does that affect the depth and the strength of the footings that you're putting in? Or, or is the structure solid and then you just have to do other things, shear walls and things to solidify above ground? No. So if you are going to have, like you say, if it's a single story, you know, the footings might only be, you know, 12 or 15 inches. If you go two stories, they might be, you know, 18 inches to 21 inches and they might increase the depth because it's carrying a lot more weight for a two story. So depending what you're putting on top of it would determine how much concrete they're putting in the ground. Yeah. So that will have been engineered. And uh, yeah, the engineer, structural engineers yeah. will tell you all that, you know, re, how much rebar you got to do, uh -huh. uh, whether you have any steel or anything like that, that you have to add to it. So then what's set into the foundation um, that then will be the base of the walls is um, conduit and, and steel beams and, and what else? How, are, how do you go? What's going to be our transition from the flat foundation to three-dimensional? So the other part would be you're getting ready for framing. Uh -huh. So you might have, like you just mentioned, you might have a, you know, a steel uh, pipe uh, that's going to hold up, you know, the corner of the house. You might have uh, what we call hold downs for shear walls. So those would be coming out of the concrete. They're embedded into it. Uh, anchor bolts, you'll see bolts maybe uh, coming out to hold the walls. They could be anywhere from, you know, two feet to, three feet apart. So you'll see these big bolts coming out of the ground for the, to hold the house down. So there's different kinds of steel. Uh, the structural engineer would uh, require that are in the concrete that are going to help hold the walls down to the house and also help not only hold it down, but 
uh, hold it from going left to right uh, in uh, laterally on your yeah. house. Uh -huh. And are those techniques you think different where we don't have earthquakes or is it a standard kind of building principle? Absolutely. Uh, LA County, probably San Francisco, a, a lot of the counties around here, uh, the, our houses around here are, are have much more steel, um, shear wall connections than any house that uh, I've had a couple other houses and I got relatives living in Texas and, and Georgia. I look at their houses and I just think, boy, these things are going to get blown over. We would <laughs> never, we would never be allowed to do what they can do in Texas and uh, wow. in Georgia. No. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have, I would say five times as much steel and um, shear walls and all that kind of stuff that they do in the back East. Yeah. So, it's kind of amazing what we, what we put in compared to what other people are allowed to do. And have you seen that change a lot over the years of your career? Yeah. You know, it seems like they come out every, you know, they'll come up with a new set of rules every, you know, three years, it seems like. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they'll so upgrade the, they'll upgrade the code. Uh-huh. Uh, they'll make you add, you know, more shear walls, more nailing, more hold downs, whatever it is. Yeah. So you've probably seen some technological changes and material changes, you know, used over the course of the years, too. Yeah. The basic look of it is the same. But yeah. uh, you know, when you're looking at it, but you'll also know, OK, so maybe before we had, you know, a four foot shear wall on a house or, you know, an eight foot. Now we'll have shear walls at both ends of the houses and something through the middle. So uh, in the last, you know, 40, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. So it's less than 40, I'm going to say 40 to 50 years uh -huh. I've been doing it. Yeah. They just keep, they just keep adding it and adding things uh -huh. to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that from the time that the permitting is complete through the foundation phase, you know, you're ready to do the framing. What kind of timeline is that? Well, let's say let's say you got everything ready to go, and you got you got a permit. You got to go find everybody because they're not sitting around waiting for you to call them. No? You know, they're doing jobs, so we we call that mobilized. You don't, so you don't you get them in your back room. Just wait. they're not in my back room. Yeah. So we call that maybe uh, mobilized. So what you're going to do is you got to call everybody and say, "Okay, we got a permit. Let's, uh, you know, when can you get over here?" And so. Hey, if you get lucky, you know, they'll say next week or they'll say two weeks. So um, it might, it usually isn't longer than that. You can get people to start, you know, you can organize them all. Uh, and especially with the COVID thing, people just never know when, when they're going to get a permit. Um, yeah, I know. That's I mean, typically before you had a pretty good idea, uh -huh. you know, when you turned it in, you'd say, okay, they said they're going to get your plans back in two weeks. And uh -huh. so you can start calling everybody. Now it's just, you just wait till you actually get it. So yeah. you got to mobilize. Um, it probably takes, uh, let's say that's two weeks, but let's say you got your foundation um, four to five weeks. You know, that's kind of a general ballpark before you could have a slab on the ground. And what are the conditions that you need the day of pouring the cement? I know we were delayed. Um, it seemed like a couple of weeks because where it doesn't rain in Southern California, we seem to be getting rain a lot on the um, Craftsman project that we worked on. Um, what do you need that condition to be? Yeah, so let's let's say we let that, that particular house, we had dug the footings and uh, then it started raining. Yeah. And so you can't have mud, you can't have uh, water in the bottom of your footings. They have to be nice and clean and dry. So you sometimes there's no way to get that out of there. Uh, a couple of times we could take some pumps. You know, we put pumps down in the bottom, pump the, pump the water out so it would start to dry up. Mm -hmm. uh, so you do need to have it. Uh, you can't have water in the bottom of it. You know, you can't. they can't be soaking wet. I mean, they need to have a little bit of moisture. So, uh, yeah, you have to make sure that you're you're ready to go as far as moisture content. And that I'm sure is something you can actually test for to see if your proportion is right. It's not just something you look at. Yeah, they can test for it, but uh, pretty much you, you know what you, you know, what you, when it's ready to go. Yeah. So the slab is poured. It's a beautiful flat thing. And I do see pipes sticking out from inside, uh, you know, that are going to come up and now go up into the framing of the house. So what right. is it that I see? 
So like we talked about previously, so that uh -huh. would be, uh, you're going to see the drain pipes. So most likely you're seeing things for, uh, let's say toilets, you know, you might see a three inch, you know, black pipe coming up where the toilet goes. Uh, you're going to see the vents and those are smaller and, uh, the air vents for the complete sewer system. Um, might see some black boxes and those are for where you're going to be putting, uh, tubs. So the, uh, we know that these little black boxes underneath them is where we can hook up a tub. Um, You'll also see probably the uh, gray ones, which are electrical. They'd be popping up. Mm -hmm. And then you'd also see all the steel that we talked about earlier. Uh -huh. That would be um, sitting there. So then what is the next step in preparing for the framing being done? Right. So your next step would be... Um, uh, you'd have your dog in the background. Yeah, and I have, I have bells ringing for some reason. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome to the world of COVID Zoom calls. <laughs> this is this is called your daughter went on vacation and you got the dog. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I have a nephew who leaves his dog at my house. I get it. Oh, uh, so the first thing you're going to do is, uh, you know, once you once you got your slab poured, you know, you might you might want to wait a couple of days before you start walking on it and dropping lumber on it, but. Uh, you know, a couple of days you can you can start getting on it. Uh, it's to snap the lines. We call it just snapping lines. Um, uh -huh. You're going to go out there and measure where all the walls are going to be, and uh, so you're going to snap these lines on the on top of the concrete, and that'll tell the carpenter where you know he's going to be laying out uh, the walls to come. Um, and usually, what we do is we lay out after you snap the lines, you put down. Uh, the plates, which would be the bottom two by four, two by six, that's going to be on the bottom, and the uh, top plates, which uh -huh. are the top of the walls. And then, if you if you can get your owner that, uh, at that point to walk through the house, uh -huh. they can kind of get a feel where the walls are, bathrooms, you know, before you start framing it. So, well, yeah, that's actually funny. It's it's my next question: is where is the homeowner at this stage? Um, are they now, you know, excited and hovering to see how things get started or are they, you know, confused or, you know, where do you find them? Yeah, I mean, if you can get through them and you think that they could do that, then um, that they would have an idea. It's good to have them out there. So what the carpenters are going to do is we call it top plate, bottom plate it. And at that time, they're going to locate where all the windows are, the doors. And so you could go through and show the homeowner, OK, here's your window. But they really don't have an idea until you actually frame it up yeah, yeah. and put the walls up and yeah. they can actually walk through and see, yeah. you know, how big a window is when they're standing there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that gives uh, it that, you know, that third dimension yeah, exactly. uh, that you, you couldn't see before. And that's that would be when you'd want to get them in there and say, here's this window. It's in the middle of the room. The, you know, if you want to move it to the left or right, you better tell us now because, uh, you know, it'll make it harder every step, you know, every yeah, day further on down. It's the already harder because you can't move any plumbing fixtures and things like that. So, you know, your only flexibility is slightly in the positioning of, of the wall. Yeah, you can move, you can move some things. I guess you could always say, hey, I'll go back and, you know, jackhammer some of this stuff out. But um, no one really wants You don't, you don't want to do that unless, <laughs> unless something's been a, you know, major mistake. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't happen, though. Make no, mistakes. No, no, no. that would never happen. Never me. happen. Um, <laughs> now, is this an exciting or nerve wracking part of the project for you? The foundation work? I'm excited by all of it. Yeah, none oh, of good. it really. I really don't have too much nerve wracking anymore. <laughs> I like I like seeing it. I like seeing it go together. Yeah. And it's good to make sure I, I guess the, the least amount of questions or mistakes that we have, you know, uh -huh. the better you feel about it. You go, OK, yeah, we did that right. We had, you know, we had a plan. We always call it, we had a plan. We, we did it right. And, uh, you know, that's good. Now, the final question at this stage for me is, um, what will you need from the interior designer and the homeowners now that the foundation is poured? What's next? Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close the door on my dog. <laughs> the dog never says anything. 
Yeah, until you're on, you know, until you're yeah. on the show. <laughs> let's, let's try that again. The question was, what? Yeah. what um, so at this stage, you know, once the foundation is poured, what are you going to be um, needing from the interior designer and the homeowners so that you can move on to the next step? Yeah, one of the, one of the things I guess would be, uh, and, and we're hoping that this is taken care of previously, would be, um, you know, appliances, uh, tubs. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of tub are you going to have? Are you going to have walk-in? Uh, this last job that we did, the man had five walk-in showers. So uh, that's one of the things that we we had uh, done with the concrete was uh -huh. that we had uh, lowered the concrete in the exact areas where the showers would be. Uh -huh. And uh, so those are always good. Do we have the tub and the hardware? What kind of tub and hardware, uh, especially if you get these fancy ones and you have to put that plumbing in the ground? You need to know those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, with this last house, one of the things that came up was the architect, you know, that we decided to do wider casing on the doors than, um, than the plan called for. Oh, I think and that so makes, that took a, that took that a little bit me. of, yeah, that was you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was my, that was my, uh, my um, oops, but it's fantastic. Admit it. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah, we were able to work around it, but let's you say brilliant. But let's say you yeah. knew this about the customer before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Then you would have said, okay, these doors, you know, they need the hallways need to be just three inches wider or something, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it would have been. Yeah. Uh and so that's you really have to know. Uh, you know, we were assuming after talking to them and showing him other houses that we'd done uh-huh uh he was happy with that yeah you know yeah and then um he decided to change so that 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 put a little hiccup into it but those would be excellent things to, to ask people about what the designer knows hey what kind of door are you get how big's casing yeah how big is the uh crown molding going to be because are the windows too high for the crown molding that you're going to put up mm -hmm. um you yeah, know that kind of stuff Ideally, when when the designer is hired after um, it after it's already too late to make any major changes in the wall positions or any of the plumbing fixtures or anything, you know, it is it is good to and I do try to design within the context of what exists. But right. they had this you know this huge great room and the style of the house was. Um, is, is sort of craftsman. It is, I call it modern craftsman. And it really kind of called out for this, you know, chunky detail. So that right. in a lot of ways, even though it's a new house, it would kind of look like it was, you know, already there for a hundred years. Right. Right. Kind of flimsy. Right. All right. Yeah. So, and I think it did it. I think it came out looking, yeah. looking like that. So it is good that uh, any designer could meet with the architect and, and if they had ideas and say, okay, here's what I'm going to use here's how much space i here's how much space i need to have for that yeah. and i actually think that in all fairness to the client it's so overwhelming to be working through the plan stage that they really can't see the forest through the trees and picture yes. the details until the house begin, begun, you know begins to be framed yes so on that note um thank you so much for joining us i i'm going to um look forward to talking to you again soon about the framing process which is okay. really the beginning I, I i sort of think it's the beginning of the end even though there's still a lot of time ahead yeah <laughs> perfect okay. in my experience as the interior designer on the job if you have not started before the foundation work begins this is the time to get out there to the plumbing fixture showrooms and come up with some extremely specific plans about the features you need in your showers. Do you want a rain head or a wall mount shower head? And what about a handheld? Are there bathtubs? Is it a jacuzzi tub or a soaking tub? Is it a built-in or a freestanding? Is there a pot filler over the stove? Is there a disposal in the island sink? If these decisions are not in process by the time the walls are framed, it may be too late to add specific details without incurring additional costs and causing delays. Delays can be frustrating and costly. 
As I often say, it is better to choose from a selection of plumbing fixtures than to have to choose the fixtures that you can get in time. The next important product information that our builder will need from the designer and homeowners will be the specifications of all of the appliances we'll be installing into the kitchen, laundry room, outdoor kitchen, and media room of our new house. So, on our next episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, we will tour an appliance showroom with an expert in the field for a clear understanding of a range of investment levels and brands. We look forward to having you with us again next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of From Disaster to Dream Home, the podcast that takes you inside the home building and rebuilding process. Each week, we bring you time-tested practices and the latest trends through conversations with top professionals in the building industry. You can find other episodes of From Disaster to Dream Home at EWNPodcastNetwork.com, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and most other major podcast streaming services. Need design help? You can contact us or find out more about our guests at From Disaster to Dream Home. Until next time, let us guide and inspire you as you create the home of your dreams. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers, eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.